Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 for 4 Football for our Week 7 preview show. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by the man coming off a high on Tom Petty Radio on SiriusXM. It is none other than John Paulson. Paulson, everyone knows your top five songs now. We didn't spoil it last week. Yeah, I uh, hope everybody had a chance to tune in. Um, I think it might still be up for another few days, but uh, it was a lot of fun to do. And then, of course, the Packers are keep losing. Uh, but the Warriors won last night, and Liverpool beat Man City this weekend. So not a bad weekend of sports, all things considered. Tough life for Paulson, revolving around Packers, Tom Petty, and the Warriors. Sam, two weeks off of a marathon now. How are you feeling? Sam Hoppin, of course, Director of Analytics here at 404 Football. I am doing great. I uh, went for a run yesterday, and the legs are feeling much better, but it's it's getting chilly here in, in Chicago. We uh, officially are past our two weeks of fall and are already into winter, it seems like. I think my worst take, Paulson doesn't have an opinion on this because he doesn't get ceilings or he doesn't get seasons in California. But I think my worst take is that fall is my favorite season, Sam. Not only that, but I think summer is my least favorite. I kind of ha- I kind of hate how every day is the same. Every day is completely sunny. Every day is warm. That sounds wow. great, I know. That sounds great, wonderful, I know. But I need some change in my life. So I prefer hoodies. I prefer 30 to 50 degrees. And I prefer, as you noticed, whenever you went running, because I went for a long run Saturday around the uh, Morton uh, Arboretum. Arboretum, yeah. Yeah, uh, and that's where the leaves right now are tricolors, four different colors all around. So no, this is my favorite season, screw summer. I mean, I, I don't disagree that fall is a great season we have football you've got a lot of sports going on the weather is is perfect for being outside but we get about 11 or 12 sunny days in chicago uh most of which happen over the summer so i try to take full advantage of those well the people did not come here for global warming talk they are here to preview week seven fantasy football and paulson i think that begins with what happened on national television on monday night because Latavius Murray completed his takeover. Melvin Gordon did not record a single touch in the final three quarters as Murray, active for his first game with the Broncos, led the team with 15 carries. And this is a player that didn't record a touch either until the second drive. So with Mike Boone active last week, with Melvin Gordon obviously active last week, you would think there's still meat on the bone here for Latavius Murray moving forward. Discuss how you view Latavius Murray rest of season and also about Melvin Gordon, because I think people have some questions now about what to do with Gordon as well for the rest of the season. Well, John, first off, props to you for calling this Latavius Murray. I don't think even you thought that this takeover would happen this quickly in this backfield. Um, you know, I thought maybe there would need to be another fumble from Melvin Gordon or two and or some poor play, uh, but it was really strange to me that um, you know, for, for the last couple of years, Melvin Gordon was deemed good enough to siphon carries away from Javante Williams and then now can't uh, carry the load or be even be the lead back in this backfield. Very strange situation, especially with him not really communicating with the coaching staff at halftime or finding out why uh, this was happening to him. However, um, the bottom line is right now it appears that Latavius Murray is the RB1 in this backfield. He's going to see the most carries. Uh, that's how I have him project, have them projected. Uh, Boone played a lot. I don't know that he's that good of a 
pass blocker, but ran a lot of routes and was in a lot of passing downs. I don't know that that is how long that's going to stay uh, either. But, um, you know, moving forward, uh, I think Murray has the lead. He is, I think, 32 years old. So, you know, tough to trust him to stay healthy uh, for the remainder season, you know, with 15 to 20 touches per game. But in the short term, and there's a lot of folks of us, or folks like us out there where we need uh, a, a spot start this week. And Latavius Murray is a, is a pretty strong one. And that's the whole point for me, Sam, is that we don't need to overblow Latavius Murray's ceiling now, uh, but we get a, what I assume will be a weekly 20 touch running back who is a, RB3 probably in this offense, RB2 ceiling, but that's okay. Like, that's viable. We talked about this with Brandon Ayuk last week where, yes, the ceiling and what he had performed to this point of the year was frustrating. But then you get these weeks where you plug him in for that 4 for 50, and we have evidence of his ceiling historically, and he delivers like Ayuk did with two touchdowns last week. That's what Latavius Murray runs me of. It's just someone we need to plug in because running back's landscape right now is absolutely brutal. What are you doing in these deeper leagues, 10-man benches, high-stakes leagues with Melvin Gordon? I think you have to hold on to him right now. Obviously, there have been some trade rumors, people assuming he might get traded given his lack of work in the last three quarters, like you mentioned. So uh, off the top of my head, I can't really think of many situations that he might get a better opportunity in. But if a team is trading for him, that certainly indicates that they're probably going to want to use him. And the writing has been on the wall for the Broncos the last couple of weeks, them not really wanting to use Gordon because he's been fumbling the ball quite a bit. So I think you hold on to him uh, right now. It's He is a bit of a, a roster clogger at this point. He's seems like the third guy between behind Latavius, who is the primary rusher, and Mike Boone, who looks to be the primary pass catching back, despite Paulson pointing out that he's not a great pass blocker. So it's he obviously not starting him with any confidence or, or at all, but I think still holds some value for the rest of the season and he reminds me of dj moore's situation dj moore of course the wide receiver 65 in fantasy points per game right now hasn't topped 60 receiving yards in any contest he also reminds me of cam Akers and that in these deeper leagues i don't want to drop them because of their trade value like if dj moore after Kansas City restructured Travis Kelsey's contract. If DJ Moore suddenly ends up in Kansas City, like imagine dropping that kind of player. So I'm definitely holding on to these fringe guys on their own rosters who we know could easily land in better offensive situations. And then we'll reevaluate from there. Maybe we still drop DJ Moore in the end. But right now, I definitely don't want to get rid of them, even in shallower leagues. I also want to talk about DJ Moore's former teammate, Robbie Anderson Paulson, because now we have Anderson landing not only for a quick turnaround on Thursday night in what may be his first game. We don't know if he'll be active with only four days to prepare with the team's playbook. But more importantly, a situation that we know he will likely play in place of or around Marquise Brown's injury. Marquise Brown, who is now projected to be out for the next four to six weeks. And I think we should still hold on to Marquise Brown wherever that's applicable. Hopefully you have an IR spot to do so, especially if you're a 6-0 and top-heavy team who may need that bench asset to come off and start or flex in the fantasy playoffs. But discuss Robbie Anderson's situation a tad in this offense around Rondell Moore, 
DeAndre Hopkins, who's returning on Thursday, and AJ Green. Yeah, I think that this this probably affects um, AJ Green more than anyone there. Uh, you probably you're going to see three receiver sets of Hopkins, uh, Rondale Moore, and uh, Robbie Anderson in the in the short term, at least until Marquise Brown comes back, and then Brown probably uh, will replace uh, Robbie Anderson. It, it sort of depends on who's playing better between Rondell Moore and, and Robbie Anderson at that time. Uh, we know Anderson's fast. Uh, he hasn't been very good lately, but this Carolina passing game has been pretty brutal over the last few years. Uh, he's had his moments. Um, but I think this was probably, you know, Marquise Brown's injury is probably prompting this, but they were just staring down the fact that they were going to have to keep uh, playing A.J. Green a lot of snaps, and they don't want to do that. Uh, Hopkins, I think, comes back to a pretty sizable role. I think I was a little you know, a little bit worried about his uh, role with Marquise Brown uh, healthy and getting 10 plus targets per game. Uh, you know, Hopkins is a target hog as well, but he, you know, was, was a significantly different player last year, averaging 57 yards uh, receiving compared to 88 yards the year before. Uh, and now he's in his age 30 season, supposedly in great shape, might take him a game or two to get going, but I think he'll probably get back to the eight to 10 target range. Uh, Robbie Anderson is not a big target guy. He'll probably be used as a situational downfield threat, um, maybe be in that five to seven uh, target range. They have been trying to feed uh, Rondale Moore as well. So it's getting a little bit crowded, especially with uh, Zach Ertz there at tight end. And I would argue that Rondale Moore is still the much safer wide receiver, has the higher weekly floor than Anderson, if only because everyone keeps pinning Anderson in this ceiling position for the Cardinals who have been terrible first of all but also like Kyler Murray this year has been bad throwing downfield eight of 30 on throws 20 plus yards downfield 33rd in completion rate in that area also a league low 7.7 yards per attempt on throws 10 plus yards downfield so like where we are pinning these targets and the ceiling production for Anderson that's where Murray's been terrible this year so I think there are just a lot of questions to answer Sam and that's why I would much rather be higher on Rondell Moore personally. Yeah, over the last four weeks, Rondell Moore has about a 22% target share, which is exceptional. And the top three guys for the Cardinals, Marquise Brown, Zach Ertz, and Moore over that span have combined for about a 74% target share. So with the, the Marquise Brown injury, I would sort of expect Hopkins to jump into that large workload and then with only about 25% of the targets left between Robbie Anderson and maybe Greg Dortch or um, some of the running backs as well. I, you know, to your point, I don't think that's really much of an upgrade for Robbie Anderson at this point. So if you can potentially sell high on that, I don't know if people are going to buy into it, but I do think, I do agree that, more has the safer floor um, than Robbie Anderson going forward. Let's also discuss Wando Robinson, Paulson, because we saw him active for his first game since week one, the season opener, of course, when he started in two wide sets prior to injury, and he spikes four targets and a touchdown on just 15 snaps as a limited player in his first game back. That was actually the first touchdown by a Giants wide receiver since week one as well. Wandale, we expect his role to increase moving forward, but how do you view him rest of season? Because I think that's what everyone is asking is, how much does this role increase actually? And 
what is the production that we should assume ensues? Yeah, I think he had a good preseason, uh, kind of got nicked up prior to the year and then has been out uh, really since week two. He played a little bit in week one, uh, 23 snaps or 23 uh percent snap share 15 snaps he got three catches 37 yards touchdown on four targets so they when he was out on the field he was targeted on four of his 15 snaps which is a really good uh look you know level of usage and you just look at this uh giants receiving core and how bad they are in terms of just being down players i mean kenny galladay hasn't materialized at all um, they, they finally removed uh, Darius Slayton from the doghouse because they need him desperately. Kadarius Tony can't get healthy. Sterling Shepard's done for the year. Uh, so they're just desperate for pass catchers. And uh, it looks like he uh, has the most potential, I would say, of anybody that's semi-healthy right now. If you can get Tony back out there, maybe they would have some uh, some dangerous weapons at receiver. But right now they're just you know utilizing Bellinger, the tight end. They're trying to throw to... Uh, Saquon Barkley as much as possible, but they're just trying to move the ball piecemeal, doing it by smoke and mirrors. Uh, but if Wandale can get healthy and get his snap share up to 50, 60%, then he could be a useful uh, fantasy starter. Sam, Wandale Robinson or George Pickens rest of season? I That's easily George Pickens for me. I, I like the way he's progressing despite the mix-up at quarterback that Pittsburgh has had he's had a really solid target share I think Wandale Robinson to John's point like they are certainly lacking at you know playmaker outside of Saquon Barkley Benjamin Solak of the Ringer wrote an article today about just about the Giants success and had a bunch of stats on some of the wonky personnel formations that they've had running out zero zero receivers multiple tight ends multiple running backs and it's I think that's what they're doing to compensate for the lack of receiver but if if Dable does revert back to again trusting the wide receivers and playing these guys I think Wandale is probably I would say the highest ranked wide receiver for me on the Giants rest of season but I'd still rather have Pickens going forward Ben Solak who of course will be joining us on the move the line podcast Thursday night at 6.45 p.m. Eastern, tune in live. Paulson, let's start with you for the Packers running backs because after A.J. Dillon's usage had been trending down and both targets two weeks ago, remember, a season low target share, zero targets, and overall share of backfield touches, we saw A.J. Dillon out-touch Aaron Jones in this game. And I'm curious if maybe it was because of the forecast and heavy rain during this game, uh, film, Gurus have also said it was for Aaron Jones' lack of pass pro in this one. But overall, what are your thoughts on this backfield moving forward? Because I think it is a situation where if you want to, you could probably get Aaron Jones for lower than what it would have costed two, three weeks ago. Yeah, I think this is a situation where, you know, heading into the season, we thought that the Packers offense might take a step back, but that the usage for Aaron Jones specifically would increase enough to offset uh, the, the downgrade in the overall offense, but they're just not scoring as many touchdowns. They're not in the red zone as much, and he's not getting as many as those of those opportunities. They also have this weird tendency to take him off the field on every key third and fourth down, which I don't understand. He's their most dynamic 
uh, player, uh, best certainly the best receiver out of the backfield, but they always have A.J. Dillon in there. Maybe that's for pass protection, but they should really think about having both players uh, out on the field if that's the case because they're taking their best um, offensive player off of the field. So um, I think, you know, you're looking at this team moving forward. The, the Washington uh, commanders are seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, and they have the Bills that are eighth. It might be a couple of rough weeks here before they get to face uh, the, the Lions, who are 32nd. And then it's just a bunch of, you know, uh, top, you know, 10, 12, 11. Those are the matchups right now until we get into the back half of the season and get to face the Bears uh, prior to the bye. So, um, you know, for this team to be good, they need Aaron Jones to do more and to score more touchdowns and just to do better in general. But they have these weird games where they go away from him and they're not getting him out of as much as possible. But it's also so a function of what's going on with the offense. If they can't sustain drives, then they can't get both these players on the field enough. And then one of them tends to suffer. And last week it was, it was Jones. And the frustrating part, Sam, is that those in-game decisions don't help us when trying to make decisions before the game. So it's really tough to pick when we actually could flex A.J. Dillon for value. Is there anything else in the usage you've seen between these two running backs that makes you higher or lower on one or the other moving forward? Yeah, I mean, John point, Paulson pointed out the using both of them on the field at the same time, and that was – that was the discourse for around the Packers heading into the season because of the lack of receiving talent that they had, you know, put Dylan in at running back and split Jones out wide. The Packers have had both Dylan and Jones on the field at the same time, just 12, 12 and a half percent of their plays, which is 11th in the league, but still not quite as high as you would expect. Connor in our, in our slack earlier this week asked if, Aaron Jones was a buy, sell, or a hold. And I think I didn't respond because it's such a tough question. I think I would buy on Aaron Jones right now, but this is, it's the same conversation that we had about the, the Bron or not the Broncos, the, uh, the Cowboys backfield last week is that both of these guys are, are immensely talented and deserve more work than they're getting. But they're going to continue to eat into each other's workload. So I I still lean Jones over Dylan. Rest of season, I think Jones is a little bit more elusive and has a, a somewhat better pass catching profile. So if you if you have one of them, you're still probably starting them, given where you may have drafted them or, or what your running back position looks like. But I'm I'm more bullish on Aaron Jones, I think. And I, and I could add that the, the Packers generally, I mean, this is a well-coached team. We've had these situations in the past where they looked really bad and they figured it out. They've got three straight 13-win seasons. I think Matt LaFleur uh, has that. So, you know, you expect this thing to turn around, but it's taking longer than what we would have thought. I mean, they kind of struggled start of the year offensively. And then these two losses to the Giants and the Jets and just really no offensive punch. It's a little bit surprising. And then now the defense is playing, you know, pretty spotty and the offensive line can't protect Aaron Rodgers. So there's just a lot going on. And I would expect the rest of the season to be better than what it has been, because I think there's, you know, it's a good coaching staff, but um, 
it's just a kind of dire straits right now. And I think it, that does present an opportunity for a talent. I think, I mean, Aaron Jones over AJ Dillon is a no brainer rest of season, but um, you just, with Aaron Jones, it's kind of been like this. You're going to have these weird weeks where he doesn't see enough touches. And Sammy Watkins practicing in a limited capacity on Wednesday. I will say, though, the one player I do trust is Alan Lazard, who now the last three games has averaged 8.3 targets and a 21% target share for 13 fantasy points per game. At least he's not only on the field running the most route out of everyone, but he's also seeing the opportunity as well. So continue starting him in your leagues. Like Aaron Rodgers being frustrated for fantasy, Paulson, Russell Wilson has also been an absolute disaster. The Broncos' offense has scored over 16 points in only one game all year, and Russell Wilson has more starts right now, six and passing touchdowns, five through the air. The quarterbacks available on most waiver wires, Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo in an amazing spot, for volume at least, this week. They're still out there, and we can still start them over Russell Wilson. So where do you stand right now, given that Wilson suffered that injury in the second half of Monday night he could miss this week, even though he's pushing to play. Of course, in that game, he also throws for 15 yards in the second half. Help uh, lament everyone's anger right now. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a, a, a question of, are you cutting Russell Wilson now to stream the position? Because that's an option. Uh, in certain leagues, you kind of have to because the benches are so small, you can't hold two quarterbacks. It's usually not a good idea. Uh, or are you just benching Wilson and hoping that in a few games they can turn it around? And then you stream the position in the meantime. That's probably what I would lean towards if I could use a spot uh, for for Wilson and not cut him at this point due to the just the nature of the quarterback position this year. He does have upside, um, but it, it, it's been really pretty dire again this year. If you're watching him play. They had a couple of moments here and there, but just nothing consistent. And now he has a hamstring injury that will, uh, in theory, limit his ability to run, which is one of the things that makes him a somewhat dangerous fantasy start for you. So, yes, I mean, I think this week we have to see what he does, but you could certainly start a Daniel Jones uh, against Jacksonville, uh, Tua coming back, uh, Trevor Lawrence potentially out there, Dak Prescott coming back, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo you mentioned against KC is a really nice matchup there, 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. And I'd even consider like a Ryan Tannehill, even though they're a pretty low volume offense, he tends to, to play pretty well against the Colts and they're at home and he's always a threat for a rushing touchdown. So uh, if, if we're looking at a hobbled Wilson with a bad shoulder, uh, I think you really start to have to you know look elsewhere. And that's the issue, Sam, is that with NFL scoring overall down, it's clearly affected quarterbacks right now. Uh, Josh Allen, the QB one averaging 29 fantasy points per game is literally averaging over 10 points more fantasy points per game than the QB eight, a mid QB one and Geno Smith averaging 18 and a half. So when everyone says this person's struggling, what do I do? The answer is, well, the entire league is struggling. So unless you have Josh Allen, Jalen hurts or Lamar Jackson, not even Patrick Mahomes really has performed weekly. Uh, it's, it's there really is no correct answer. That's why it's hard to say, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo rest of season. Oh, Matt Ryan rest of season. Because there really isn't a rest of season. I think it comes down to, like Paulson said, are you streaming for Russell Wilson? And in my opinion, you are streaming for Russell Wilson. And if possible, just battling it out on waivers every single week for that position. Yeah, for sure. Russell Wilson's no longer a must-start person at the position. He has just a 2.5% 
touchdown rate this season, negative 3.3% completion over expectation. The Broncos are also leaning a little bit more run heavy recently. They have a negative pass rate over expectation in three of their last four games because the defense has been good enough that they don't really have to throw. They're not down by a ton in many of these games in situations where Russ has to drop back so many times. It, it was encouraging to see him scrambling a bit in the game on Monday night. But again, with the hamstring injury, there's there's no guarantee that that even continues. So they're, at this point, you're probably just, I think, playing the, the waiver game, like you said, and are better off doing that than sticking to just one quarterback. Justin Fields also, if he's out there, I don't think his 80-plus rushing yards from last week is sustainable since that was his first time over 60 rushing yards all year, but increased 23 pass attempts per game the past three games compared to 17 in his first three. The report out of Chicago, Paulson, is that the Bears are now going to ride, quote-unquote, the hot hand in their backfield. Khalil Herbert, of course, in four games with Montgomery this year, had averaged six and a half touches per game, whereas he was the workhorse without Montgomery. So this does open a door for Herbert to deliver standalone value whenever Montgomery is available. The issue is that, again, hot hand doesn't tell us anything when making decisions before the game. So what are you doing with Montgomery and Herbert, and how do you view them rest of season? Yeah, if they're, if they're announcing that they're going to go hot hand, you probably need to uh, rank these players closer than what I typically would. I mean, Montgomery has been a volume-driven uh, RB1, RB2 for his career. And if Herbert is outplaying him in a particular game and now is going to see more touches, that just makes Montgomery uh, all that more risky of a start. So uh, you think you have to move uh, Montgomery down and then start using Herbert as a regular flex. He's you know He's kind of gone from a attrition hold to where you know he's going to get five carries a game um and then if if montgomery gets hurt he goes off to now he's kind of in a tony pollard situation where they may give him 10 12 uh 15 touches in a game if things go really well so uh these two players have to be ranked a lot closer now sam does this give you confidence to blindly start herbert for our RB2 flex spots over the bye weeks, since there's at least a chance now he could emerge weekly. During the bye weeks, for sure. I mean, we're, we're going to be missing a lot of key players here over the next couple of weeks. I hope that their hot hand approach is just them sort of signaling, hey, we're going to include Herbert a lot more because he has had the hot hand all season. He's been much more efficient on a rushing yards over expectation uh, per carry standpoint and has just looked better than David Montgomery. The one part of this offense that Herbert really hasn't had a chance to capture is the receiving work. David Montgomery has still been running a route on over 60% of the team's dropbacks in the game that he's played fully healthy. Herbert has only gotten up to 56% and 48% in the two games that Montgomery missed, and I'm counting week three as a game that Montgomery missed, but has not been above 25% in either of those other games. So if the passing work for the Bears starts to tick up just a little bit, I think they continue to use Montgomery 
in that role and rely on Herbert more as the rushing guy. So to answer your question, I do think that Herbert is worth RB2 or flex consideration right now because he's been so efficient. He's broken off some really long runs, but it's it's unlikely that he hits the full ceiling that he had in the couple of weeks without Montgomery that uh, while Montgomery is still healthy. We knew at some point there was going to be a blip on the radar, and that's what happened for the Seahawks, Geno Smith, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, everyone from the top down against a Cardinals defense that quietly, since they got healthy in week two, has not allowed a quarterback to reach 260 yards after getting blown out in week one by the Chiefs. But overall, Paulson, just a blip on the radar here, nothing to worry about. Are we still moving forward with Tyler Lockett, who is currently ranked as your wide receiver 13, and DK Metcalf, who's one spot ahead of him as your wide receiver 12? I would say blip on the radar, but something to monitor. I mean, I think we're not expecting... Generally speaking, we're not expecting Geno Smith to keep this up given his career numbers, but maybe he does. Um, maybe he is able to have sort of a late career renaissance with the uh, with the Seahawks. Uh, you know, the, the Cardinals are coming in now at number two and adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers, so it was a bad matchup. But the, those numbers are helped by what they did against the the, uh, the Seahawks last week. So this week will be a uh, Probably a, a more true test. I mean, you got an indoor game against the Chargers. Uh, they're <clears throat> 24th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. I would expect the the uh, Seahawks receivers to get going. Uh, I think they're both must-starts, uh, you know, given the bye weeks and what they've done so far this season. Sam, unless you have thoughts on Seattle's receivers, I actually want to move on and ask you about Mike Williams because people have a choice to make. They can actually choose to part with Mike Williams, even though his last game against Patrick Sertain did not go well. But Keenan Allen supposedly will practice in full this week, has a great chance to return in the Chargers' next game. And remember, Mike Williams, an 11.5% target share in week one whenever Allen was last available. What are your thoughts on the Chargers receivers and Mike Williams' value? I mean, I think for all those reasons it makes him the perfect buy candidate right now i mean they the chargers were very clearly avoiding targeting williams while he was being covered by sertan on monday night with the positive reports of keenan allen coming back that too will depress williams values going forward but he again this is all without without keenan allen but has had double digit targets in three of his last five games he's one of just 19 wide receivers averaging over eight targets per game is still going to have a very high routes per dropback rate going forward. So it's, you look at week one and, and yes, that was not great with Keenan Allen, but I think that was more of an exception than the rule going forward. And, you know, again, there's no telling if Keenan Allen will be able to stay healthy throughout the rest of the season. So I think right now is going to be the lowest that Mike Williams' value is going to be. So if you're in need of some wide receiver help, especially through these bye weeks, that Williams is a perfect guy to be targeting. Let's assume Keenan Allen practices in full Paulson. Where would you have him ranked on Sunday? If he goes full, then you start to get him closer to you know where he typically is, which is that, you know, 
low end wide receiver one, mid range wide receiver two. I, I feel like in this first game back, it's kind of a wait and see. He's probably going to be in lineups because of the bye weeks and people are in dire straits. I mean, I looked at one of my rosters today and half the team's on bye. And <laughs> like Keenan, I'd be happy to have Keenan Allen to, to start if he were coming back from an injury. But as far as Mike Williams is concerned, uh, you know, it was a one game sample. Looking at last year, he had a 21% target share, 8.1 targets, 4.8 receptions per game, 72 receiving yards, 0.56 rush, uh, receiving touchdowns last year. And that was with uh, Keenan Allen uh, pretty much playing a full season. So uh, not too worried about it. It's just I think Mike Williams is one of these guys that has prior to last year not put everything together in one year. I think he had a big yardage year one season had a big touchdown year and another season but last year was the first time that he really put everything together and you know can we completely count on that rest of season uh, i don't know we have a basically a season sample of him doing that uh and uh we we're just not exactly sure if he's going to continue i would have him ranked as a wide receiver too low end wide receiver too maybe not as uh dependable with allen back but uh, he hasn't been that dependable with allen out so um, I think in this situation, you're looking at Keenan as th- probably pretty close in targets. Uh, Keenan with you know an eight to ten targets per game, and then um, Williams checking in with a seven to eight per game. Whether he returns this week or not, I think people have questions about Rashad Bateman, who John Harbaugh did say he's quote unquote getting closer to coming back, and the issue, of course, is that Rashad Bateman prior to injury had not reached an 80% route rate in any game as a limited player and was averaging six targets per game for an offense that funnels targets to two players, but Mark Andrews being, of course, ahead in Rashad Bateman and target share. So what do you think about Rashad Bateman for the rest of the season? Because I think some people in shallower leagues, Paulson, has have decisions to make because they could drop him for another player that may get dropped. Uh, Marquise Brown, for instance, a Jamison Williams, players like that. I think he's a hold. I think he's a talented player. Uh, yes, there are concerns. He's not playing 80, 90% of the snaps. It's been 66, 61, 62, and then he had his injury game of 44. But even in those limited snaps, he cleared 59 yards in all three of the first three games. Uh, he is going to have the occasional clunker because it's he seems to be mostly a deep threat right now when really he has the ability to run routes all over the field. But I think the reason that he's a, a stronghold for me is you look at his up, upcoming schedule in our uh, hot spots, and he does not have a matchup uh, outside the or inside the top 18 until week 13 against Denver. He's got Cleveland, Tampa, the, the Saints, Carolina, Jacksonville, then Denver, which is a tough matchup, and then four more green uh, matchups against Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Atlanta, and Pittsburgh again. Um, just a lot of very generous pass <laughs> defenses uh, and really just a lot better than what he has seen thus far. I mean, the Jets, Miami, New England, uh, and Buffalo were his first four matchups and they were all inside the top 16 adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. So I think there's uh, good days ahead for Rashad Bateman. Let's discuss Washington's wide receivers, Sam, because Jahan Dotson may be out there on waiver wires or maybe stashed since he's expected to return soon. But more importantly, a quarterback change since Carson Wentz will, is now expected to be out the next four to six weeks, and Washington is going back to Taylor Heineke. 
Uh, maybe this actually dampens your argument. So apologies if it does so. But I do want everyone to calm down on Terry McLaurin because I think they look and see his 25% target share from last year from Heineke. But also remember, he was the wide receiver 25 in fantasy points per game. And he saw the fewest catchable targets from Heineke of any receiver with at least 130 targets. Like that's why he struggled to ever hit a ceiling. So with Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson out around him, logically soaking up this target share, it's not really giving me a reason to be more excited about Terry McLaurin. I'm actually more worried. Uh, what are your thoughts on Washington's receivers overall? I I would agree again. Last year was also, I think you mentioned, was without essentially Curtis Samuel for the majority of the season. Um, Adam Humphreys was getting about four targets per game when Heineke was the starter. So would expect some of that to go to to both Dotson and Samuel. But Carson Wentz hadn't been playing terribly, uh, I mean, relative to, to some expectations. So I think for me, this is sort of a, a stay away. Like I'm not buying, but I'm not selling either. I just sort of rather hold on each of these pieces and and see what happens with with them. The uh, the commanders have been leaning a little bit more pass heavy this year, which was a little bit shocking, but I do think that using last year's stats to your point is a little bit of a, a red herring and, and not necessarily what you want to lean on. So I do think that I don't think that this is the end all be all for these pass catchers, but there's, I really don't think it really changes the status quo that much going forward. How do you feel about Washington's receivers, Paulson, since Curtis Samuel has still led this team in targets in every single game this year? You know, this, the quarterback change can always can bring good. It can bring bad. Uh, I was hopeful for DJ Moore with PJ Tucker coming in and having a nice yards per attempt uh, in his history with DJ Moore. And then that turned into a three catch seven yard debacle against the Rams uh, so you just don't know until it happens. But, you know, you look at Heineke's numbers last year, uh, 6.9 yards per attempt and a 4% uh, touchdown rate. Uh, Wentz has been playing 6.4 yards per attempt and a 4.3% uh, touchdown rate. So it really doesn't look like maybe Heineke's a little more efficient with his yardage uh, and maybe Wentz is a little bit better at throwing touchdowns, but it really looked too close to call. So we're probably getting a wash here. And it just sort of depends on who Heineke feels like he has the best rapport with. Uh, I would think that would be McLaurin since he's played, you know, the most with him. Um, but we just have to wait and see. Um, Dotson coming back does complicate things for for Curtis Samuel because he's starting to see a little bit of a downswing. They're not using him as a rusher. Uh, it hasn't been quite as effective the last few weeks. And now you have Dotson coming back and, and eating up some targets. I'm also keeping an eye on. Uh, Logan Thomas's status because if he's back, then you, you know you've got four or five, maybe six targets going to the tight end. How do you view Dotson rest of season? Because I, I think people again will have an option to pick him up on shallow waiver wires, and he was dependent on touchdowns. He converted all three of his end zone targets into three scores previously as the third wide receiver in targets on this team. Do you think his target share grows, maybe even ahead of McLaurin's though, with Heineke for however long? He is starting. Uh, another another question I personally have since the Commanders are fourth in their division, two and four, two games behind third place, and Hal, a fifth-round pick, 
will definitely get starts. Like it's just a matter of when he'll get those starts. Yeah, I mean, I have Dodson ranked 51 rest of the season, you know, around uh, Josh Reynolds, Michael Gallup, George Pickens, Elijah Moore. So, but, you know, this was, this ranking was completed before we knew that he was back at practice today. So he might bump up a little bit knowing that he, you know, might play this week. Um, But, you know, I have him ranked probably as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five right now, and Samuel a little bit higher than that. And uh, McLaurin is maybe a wide receiver, high end wide receiver three. Uh, it's just this passing game isn't that great, and uh, we don't have a quarterback that can su- support all these uh, pass catchers. Uh, so, you know, you, you, I think you're going to end up with some spotty starts from all these guys. They're, they're all they're all talented enough to have good games. Just a matter of who's going to who is going to be in each given week. And Logan Thomas, for what it's worth, DMP on Wednesday. It's time for everyone's favorite part of the show, who joins us at 1 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday, and that is Hoppins charts and sam you want to destroy that excitement and start with the texans running backs go ahead i i don't know why you want to say i'm saying you say destroy that excitement i'm i'm super excited about damian pierce going forward they just had their bye week so uh, nothing to point to from week seven but was just looking at a couple things before the show that stood out to me and damian pierce has a stranglehold on this backfield right now over the last four weeks he is seventh in high value touches Per game, he's one of just eight running backs with at least 70% of the team's carries. And more shockingly, he is starting to run more and more routes as well. Over the last, uh, I guess, the two weeks before the bye, Rex Burkhead was down to 38.5 and 36% routes run when he hadn't been below 45% in each of the first three weeks. Meanwhile, Pierce has been up to 48.7% and 52% in those games. So Pierce with a commanding 75% snap share in week five, I think this is a situation where if you have Pierce, you're holding him. He's passed the bye, so you don't really need to worry about filling filling in for him anymore. And you, I think, have the guy that many people drafted going in for the rest of the season. Any pause on this backfield, Paulson, since the Texans haven't lost by 10 points in any game since week two, since Damian Pierce did take over this backfield. So I do wonder if still, if they're down by three, four scores, uh, if Rex Burkhead would come in. But any pause overall as Damian Pierce as a low-end RB1, let's say. No, they're, they're treating him as a bell cow. And anytime you have a bell cow, it really doesn't matter how efficient, even though he's been pretty efficient, it really doesn't matter how efficient you want the player on your team because they are going to produce fantasy points for you, even if it's inefficiently. Um, so Pierce has uh, exceeded my expectations. I think I was a little worried about Burkhead at the start because it, there were multiple beat writers saying that, that you know, that the, the fantasy community just doesn't, uh, appreciate how much this team loves Rex Burkhead, but they obviously have transferred that love <laughs> to uh, Damian Pierce and are treating him as a bell cow. I would also like to point out from this chart, you know, Josh Jacobs, Devin Singletary, um, dead zone running backs who are have emerged from the dead zone and are uh, doing very well, relatively speaking. I mean, Josh Jacobs is a top 10 running back. Devin Singletary has been okay. He's not getting a lot of touchdowns, but he's getting a lot of high value target uh, touches. And then Ramondre Stevenson obviously benefiting from that uh, Damian Harris injury over the last couple of weeks to really turn into uh, you know a bell cow in the short term. That's something I'll definitely 
take into account next year because we should really just be playing the game of fantasy football when drafting and the game entailed when Josh Jacobs dipped two or three rounds, just holding your nose and making that pick since it was a value. And Miles Sanders as well. He's right there next to Aaron Jones. uh, I like Miles Sanders. I I wasn't agreeing with everyone on that, but Josh Jacobs, (laughs) I was definitely, I definitely got wrong. I was behind on that and I'm paying the price for it. So just play the overall game of fantasy football is really the theme. Sam, another chart you have for everyone here is the question everyone once answered, and it is how to decipher the Jets wide receivers every single week, which right now I assume is just a lottery ticket. Just uh, if you're starting them, good luck. Maybe one of them will succeed. What are your thoughts? What are they telling you behind the scenes? Yeah, I mean, if you should have said dampening the mood with this because the, the Jets wide receivers have been abysmal in the last three weeks with Zach Wilson under center. Over the last three weeks, again, in those games, the Jets have a negative 7.3% pass rate over expectation, which isn't exactly screaming like I we trust our quarterback. And I think... You know, if you're struggling to figure out what to do with these guys, I think Elijah Moore can be dropped again. Like in these big bench, high stakes leagues, you're not going to because there really aren't many better options. But, you know, guys like Wandale Robinson, like we mentioned before, George Pickens, like I'd rather have those guys over him at the rest of, for the rest of the season. He's still running around on 87% of routes, uh, excuse me, on drop of dropbacks. So, there is some hope, but he's just gotten eight targets in the last three weeks. Garrett Wilson hasn't really been much better. He's gotten 15 total targets in those three games, but has only caught six of them. Corey Davis currently looks like the quote-unquote wide receiver one in that offense. He's averaging about 55 receiving yards per game, but that's no, that's not any production you want to lean on going forward. So none of them, in my opinion, are startable right now but I'd rather hold Garrett Wilson moving forward than Elijah Moore and how do you parse through this situation for weekly production redraft leagues Paulson because we've also seen since week four since Zach Wilson returned he's averaging 25 pass attempts per game they've become a run heavy over expectation team, which is wise for them, honestly, to hide Wilson instead. And at least previously, we could rely on Elijah Moore being out there for a team high on routes run. That's what we hung our hats on. But the past two games, Corey Davis has run more routes than Elijah Moore as a team's number one receiver. So what are your thoughts about this situation? Well, the Jets are the the Brees Hall show now. Like You just can't trust any of these pass catchers. You, uh, I think heading into the season, we th- we we kind of thought that it would be 1A, 1B with Moore and perhaps Garrett Wilson if he lived up to his draft capital. But when you have Corey Davis sticking around and just really you know, outplaying them or out-targeting them at least, then there's just not enough to go around when, when they're only attempting 25 passes and a lot of them are going to the running backs, especially Brees Hall. So um, at, you know, as Sam mentioned, I don't think that any of them are trustworthy uh, I, you know, I feel I would feel most comfortable starting Davis or Wilson right now if I was in a pinch because just Elijah Moore's uh, role has completely dried up, and it's it's a little crazy. I mean, I think we 
saw at the end of last year that he and Zach Wilson had a couple of good games together. And we were, you know, kind of hanging our hat on that, like hoping that that would transfer over, but it just, you know, it, it hasn't. And, uh, you know, he's probably better off with Joe Flacco out there attempting 40, 45 passes per game. For reference, Corey Davis, the wide receiver 42 in your week seven rankings, Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver 45 and Elijah Moore, the wide receiver 59. T. Higgins also returned to the lineup, Sam, and was out there for the second most routes on the team, even though he looked a little bit hampered still. A couple boneheaded drops and mistakes as well in that game as he continued to get healthier. Any takeaways from Jamar Chase's blow-up spot and T. Higgins returning to the lineup? Yeah, I think it's wheels up for all of the Bengals wide receivers moving forward after starting the season with a negative 2% pass rate over expectation in the first two weeks. Cincinnati's had an 8.7% pass rate over expectation since week three, which is the fourth highest in the league in that span. As you can see on this chart, the Bengals wide receivers have a combined 67% target share, which is the eighth highest total in the league. All three of these wide receivers are are pretty much running around on over 90% of the team's dropbacks when they're healthy. So I think each week, all three of these guys are startable if if again you you want to invest in some wide receivers these guys i think are the ones to do it obviously tyler boyd the the third option here but still can have some solid games i think with how much they're passing the ball so i'm really excited about the way the direction that this Bengals offense is going let's talk about tight ends because there are a lot on the waiver wire And I want to start with Robert Tunyon, who I know you're excited to tell everyone about, Paulson, as the Packers, essentially second wide receiver. Yeah, he's starting to uh, come on a little bit. Maybe that knee's feeling a little better, but he had the 10 catches last week. His role's expanding a little bit. I think uh, Rodgers trusts him uh, in a, I think he's tight end eight over the last three or four weeks as well, fantasy-wise. So, um I think you know in in the wasteland that is tight end, he's somebody you can uh, start. knows that knows he has the confidence of the his quarterback. Will has a history of catching touchdowns. He does look at him. You know, we get across the thirty or forty yard line. Uh, he does look at him down the seam for that uh, that seam touchdown. Uh, and he's also they they do a pretty good job of scheming him some touches as well or some some targets. So. It's just if you don't have one of the top guys at the position, you're just trying to find players who can perform for you in a given week or in maybe a three or four week span. And perhaps they graduate to top eight, top five status. And he has a history of that and now seems to be getting fully healthy. So I'm hoping that his snap share rises a little bit. They still use Deguara and Mercedes Lewis and uh, the other guy. I forgot his name. Uh, second year Tyler Davis, uh, a little too much for comfort, but um, I think if if Tanyan keeps playing as well as he did last week, uh, that his uh, snap rate will rise a little bit as well. Mercedes Lewis, the Keith Richards of tight ends. Sam, any notes behind the scenes on Robert Tanyan's usage, who I actually think is the pivot from Randall Cobb's injury? Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to mention. It looks like Cobb's going to miss several weeks right now and over the last four weeks Tanyan has averaged 6.2 targets per game he had 12 this past week which is boosting that a little but he's run a route on 
63% of the team's dropbacks and has a 0.24 targets per route run rate, which is sixth among tight ends with at least 15 targets. So again, it's, it's tough to want to invest much into this Packers offense, the way that they've looked in games recently. But again, at the tight end position, you're, you're really just scraping at, at the bottom of the barrel if you don't have one of Kelsey or Andrews. So I think Robert Tanyan for the next couple weeks at least is a, a guy that you should have some confidence plugging in, especially while Randall Cobb is out. Let's get into lightning around and clear some things up for week seven early in the week as best as we can before we get out of here. Paulson, any notes on Seattle's tight ends, perhaps one of them emerging after Noah Fant tied DK Metcalf for a team high in target share this past week. Yeah, I made a bad uh, dad joke that something's brewing in Seattle uh, in our... Terrible dad uh, joke. Yeah, terrible. Uh, sneaky starts <laughs> article. Uh, but with with Fant, like, it seems like they're figuring out that he's actually a pretty good athlete and a pretty good uh, tight end. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, he's run around on 60% of... Uh, Geno Smith's dropbacks uh, for most of the season, that number has been like hovering around 50%. Uh, but that extra playing time has led to 12 targets in the last two weeks. He had a touchdown three weeks ago as well, a short one. Um, and we know, again, we like Tanyan, we know he is a t- uh, tight end one caliber player. He has delivered tight end one numbers in Denver over the last low end tight end one numbers uh, over the last couple seasons. And, uh, you know, we were sort of excited about his role expanding in Seattle, but it's been Will Disley catching the touchdowns. But, uh, you know, as I mentioned, his playing time is increasing a little bit. So if you're if you're in dire straits at the position, uh, like I am in a couple of leagues, uh, you know, fans a worthy addition, a worthy streamer this week against the Chargers. Let's keep it going, Sam, because, again, lots of tight ends out there available for everyone. I even checked in the high stakes leagues we play, and I saw Mike Jasicki out there dropped and rightfully so by a handful of teams but what we saw was Jasicki actually emerge in this game that Jalen Waddle got injured in with a season high in route participation 75 percent target share 12.7 percent and two end zone targets that he converted into touchdowns do you think this sticks as a player we can start this week for bye weeks since remember we saw Jasicki play 62 percent of snaps have four catches for a touchdown in week two, but then literally the following week got a season low in snaps. Do you think it holds this time around? I don't think it holds unless Jalen Waddle is out. It sounds like he should be fine as well. I just, again, no more than four targets in a game before this week. So I, yeah, no, it's lightning around. No, I would, I would just add that Durham Smythe's injury opened up a lot of this playing time last week for, for Gesicki. He had 45 routes. Uh, Smythe was out three weeks ago. If you look at the game against Cincinnati, Gesicki had 24 routes. Smythe had 16. Um, so it's, I think when he's out, there's more and more playing time for Gesicki. The, the next guy I think was had six next tight end had six routes last week compared Andrew to Gesicki's yeah. 45. So he's more of an every down guy uh, when Smythe's out. So keep an eye on, on Smythe's, um, injury status this week, and if he's out, then he's a lot more confident, or Gasicki's a lot more confident of a streamer. Okay, Durham Smythe is out in this hypothetical world. Would you start Mike Gasicki, Robert Tunyon, or Greg Dulcich? 
I have Tunyon at 12. Assuming uh, I'm right now assuming that Smice out, I have Gesicki at 14. And then uh, Dolchich is going to have to earn my trust. Uh, he's down at 22. I completely agree. I think everyone got a little too excited for Dulcich. Uh, I am the fantasy realist of the industry where I, I try to calm everyone down because I guess I just ruin everyone's optimism, but like a 10.7% target share and long touchdown on broken coverage in a bad offense is not something I want to be like overly excited about even in running a route on 81% of his dropbacks in his first game back. So uh, Sam, what are your thoughts on Greg Dulcich? And what about for you? Let's say, let's give you a different one for everyone. Greg Dulcich, Jasicki if Smythe is out or Kate Otten, assuming Cam Braid is out. Yeah, I was going to mention Kate Otten. You've got him written here in the notes. And I'd probably take, I almost might take Otten over Tunyon as well. So I'm take, I'm for sure taking him over Dulcich and Gesicki. The Buccaneers have inexplicably did not pass the ball that much against the Steelers this past week. But in week five, when Cambrate was out, Otten had seven targets, looked like a fixture in that offense. Now, the Bucks wide receiver court does look like it is getting healthier, but I would expect the Buccaneers to return to being more pass happy in the weeks going forward. So I, I really like Otten and think that he's someone who could fit in for a couple of weeks. Otten, an elite 86% route participation in that week five game as well. And Paulson, let's say the Latavius Murrays of the world, the plug-in RB3s are not available to you anymore because you read four for fours week four waiver wire column. I think the Ravens backfield may have some relief here. What are your thoughts on the Ravens backfield for week seven and moving forward? I have one more tight end for you, Juwan Johnson uh, with Adam Adam Troutman out with an ankle injury likely this Thursday. So Juwan Johnson should play a lot of snaps against the Cardinals who are 31st in just fantasy points, a lot of tight ends. So that's a, a punt play there for you at tight and end. And in deeper leagues, let's just keep racking them up. Because again, it's the week of tight ends, the week of tight ends that won't deliver in the end. Uh, yeah. Daniel, Be- Daniel Bellinger had never oh. run a route on 61% of the Giants dropbacks in any game this year. He was at 82% this past week. Also a, team high share of targets and they do they they do look at him in the red zone too like he they he ran the ball and scored a touchdown as well uh but you asked about baltimore so this is a tough waiver wire uh, bid situation because there are desperate owners out there or desperate managers out there who have a need at running back and you know kenron drake looks appealing uh after his big game uh i read up on dobbins they they said that it was the turf in new york that his knee didn't respond well to, and that it tightened up on him. And that's why he didn't play in the second half. And I don't know if that means there's a setback or if it just didn't, wasn't comfortable for him to run on the turf or the hard turf there. And he might just be back out there as the, you know, the RB one this week. Uh, You also have uh, Gus Edwards working his way back. I believe he's in the third week of his 21 day practice window and is apparently looking good. Very productive player. Everybody kind of forgets about Gus Edwards, but very productive player, you know, 5.0 yards per carry type guy in that offense. Uh, he might be an interesting stash if he's out there on the on the waiver wire because, you know, if Dobbins continues to have setbacks or if this is something that is uh, there's smoke and there's fire type situation, uh, Edwards could find himself in a lead role once he's fully fully back if Dobbins can't go. Um, 
in this short week though you know drake gloves does look like a flex but this could totally backfire and he might be back to five touches behind dobbins in a 15 touch role and it's worth noting edwards 21 day window isn't up until monday i believe monday or tuesday and so they don't have to have him accurate for this game and it's of course not only a team total for the ravens an overall total in this matchup increasing but also it's the browns run defense like this is a team that has allowed multiple touchdowns to opposing running backs since in every game since week two like we want the running back playing the browns each and every week and kenny and drake may be the sole proprietor of dobbins injury in this matchup so i i do think actually long term if they're on waiver wires and both of them are Deion jackson as a contingency player makes clearly much more sense than Kenyon Drake. But if you're if you're going for just a one week option, I think Drake is a better pickup than Deion Jackson. Yeah, because you don't know what Jonathan Taylor's standpoint at your status is. You think that he's going to be back. If he's back, you're not looking at Deion Jackson as anything more than like a five touch uh, type player. And I think the other issue with Baltimore is that Justice Hill might be back, and Hill's been playing some snaps when he's been healthy as well. So it's, it's very I'm very interested to see what what kind of settles out with this. I, that's for that reason I wouldn't spend too much on on Drake, but some uh, managers are in such a pinch that you need somebody that might get 10, 10 touches, and he looked pretty good in his last uh, stint. And of course, Naheem Hines also expected to practice. Yeah, he should play. Did did have the as we expected mandatory one week absent following a concussion. Now uh, expected to be back this week. Sam, what else do you have for everyone coming out at four for four this week? Same as always, uh, happened to two conclusions came out this morning. Positional breakout model comes out tomorrow morning and plenty of more charts on the Twitter feed. Paulson, what else at 44.com this week? I got to finish up sneaky starts, got the podcast on Friday, got the chat uh, for 444 subscribers and the discord. If you're not a part of that, then you need to be a part of that. If you're a 444 subscriber and not on our discord, you're missing out on a lot of information. I post my, uh, thinking inside uh, the box uh, series there, uh, analytics and uh, different little stats that are actionable uh, every uh, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, so uh, get on that Discord if you're a subscriber. The waiver wire is on the site. And if you do want to be in the Discord to read Paulson's usage notes and jump into waivers Q&A, get some player props, everything else we offer there. Since you made it to this point in the podcast, I bet if you DM me, we could get you 25% off. I bet. Don't hold me to it, but I think we could do that. So until then, we will, of course, be back. Paulson will be back later this week for his sneaky starts and more usage notes to close out the week. Until then, you know, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you then.